Lubina, by Juan Rulfo. Among the high mountains to the south, Lubina is the highest and the stoniest one. It's covered in that grayish cree which is used to make lime. Not that they use it for making lime in Lubina or put it to any good use at all. Up there it's known as piedra cruda, or rag stone. And the hill that crests towards Lubina, they call the Cuesta de la Piedra Cruda. It's the sun and wind do the work of milling the stone so finely that the earth is a blaze of white up around there, as though constantly covered by the morning dew. So to speak, mind, because days get every bit as chill as nights in Lubina, and the dew sets way above in the sky before it ever settles down on the land. And the land is steep. The land sunders on all sides into deep barrancas, the floor so remote beneath you cannot make out the bottom. People in Lubina say dreams well up from those ravines, but the wind's about all I ever knew to rise out of there clamoring like it was being piped up through reeds from way below. A wind that snuffs out even the woody nightshade, those glumby tea plants that just about thrive in a scrape of dirt, clinging for all their worth to upland cliffs. Only the odd time, where a little shade can be found, hidden among the rocks, white poppies blossom on the chicalote. The chicalote flower withers in no time, though. Then its prickly leaves can be heard scraping the wind, like a knife-edge keening on a whetstone. You'll see it all for yourself, this wind that blows across Lubina. It has a dun-earthy color on account of the volcanic sand it picks up along the way, they say. But in actual fact, the wind is black, as you'll find out for yourself. It settles upon Lubina, taking hold as though sinking its teeth in. And there's no end to those days when it will tear the roof off a house like it was no more than a straw hat getting lifted away, stripping walls bare clean. And then, like a clawed thing, it scratches. You hear it from dawn to dusk, hour upon hour, with no let up, scraping along the walls, tearing up clumps of earth, prying like the tip of a spade under the door, till you feel it start howling inside you, enough to rattle the hinges of your very bones. All this you'll find out for yourself. The man doing the talking went quiet for a moment and was staring outside. They could hear sounds of the river running high sluicing through branches of Kamichin fig, the moan of the breeze gently fluttering the leaves on the almond trees, and the yelling of children playing games in the nook of light cast from the store. Termites were flying in and dinging themselves against the old lamp and tumbling to the floor with their wings scorched. And outside, the night kept encroaching. Hey, Camilo! Send over another couple of beers, resumed the man. Then he added, One more thing, senor. You will never see a blue sky in Lubina. 
The horizons faded away there, blotched for good by a dirty mist that won't ever lift. That whole baldy ridge. Not one tree, not one green thing to rest your eye on. The whole lot wrapped in a haze that's like ashes. You see it. Those hills drive us death, and Luvina there on high. The white hamlet crowning it all like a funeral wreath. The yelling children got closer, until finally their noise spilled into the store. This got the man to his feet and over to the door, telling them, Get away! You're not to interrupt. Keep playing, but don't make a racket about it. Then, walking back to the table, he sat down and said, Yes, well, as I was telling you, doesn't rain much there. About mid-year, a number of storms drift in and lash the earth, tearing it up, leaving nothing but the scree floating across the tepetate. Then it's nice to watch the pool of the clouds, lurching along from one mountain to the next like swollen bladders, bouncing and thundering like they were breaking up on the knife edge of the barrancas. But in ten or twelve days they're gone, and don't come back until the following year. And at times... Don't come back for several years. Yes, it rains little. So little, next to nothing, that the ground, as well as being parched and shrunk like old leather, is covered in cracks and what they call their pasojos de agua, which are actually clods of earth as hard as jagged rocks that drive into your feet as you're walking along, like the ground itself had grown thorns. As if that's how things were. He drank the beer until all that was left were foamy bubbles in the bottle, and he carried on talking. From whatever angle you look at it, Louvain is an awful sorry place. You being headed there, you'll soon realize. I would say it's where sorrow makes her nest. Never a smile to be seen, and everyone goes around with a face on them like it got set in a cast. And should you want, you can see that sorrow any time you please. The wind blowing there gets it stirred up, but never sweeps it away. It lingers there, like it was born there. And you get to know it by taste and by feel, from the way it bears down on you constantly, clutching you tight like a terrible poultice crushed into the heart's vital flesh. They say... The people up there, when the moon waxes full, they watch the wind itself take on form and rove the streets of Luvina, dragging a black blanket behind it. But for me, what I could always make out by the full moon in Luvina was the picture of despair. Always. But drink up your beer. I can see you haven't even taken a sip. Drink away. Or perhaps you don't fancy it lukewarm like that. Thing is, that's all we have here. I know how rank it tastes like that. How it gets a tang of donkey piece. Here you develop a taste for it. Honestly, there you won't find even that. When you're in Luvina, you'll be pining for it. The only drink going there... It's a mezcal they make out of a herb called ojase. And after their first few sips, 
You go loopy like you were getting spun round the place. Best have your beer. Take it from me. Outside you could still hear the river striving, the wind murmuring, the children at play. It seemed as though the night were still young. The man had gone over to the door once more to peer out and was coming back. Now he was saying, Things is enough when considered sitting here, drawing purely from memory something totally different from what's around us. And now that it's any kind of trouble for me to go on telling you some more of what I know on the subject of Lubina. I live there. I left life behind there. I went to that place full of hope, and I came back old and worn out. And now you're headed that way. And that's fine. I seem to remember how it all began. I put myself in your position and I think, look, the first time I arrived in Luvina. Uh, would it bother you, though, my taking a drink of your beer first? I see you haven't much interest in it. And for me, it is a great help. It relaxes me. It feels like I was getting my head soused in comfort oil. <sighs> well, I was telling you how, when I first arrived in Lovina, the muleteer taking us there wouldn't even let the animals rest for a spell. No sooner had we got our feet planted on the ground, he swung about. I'm heading back, he told us. Wait, aren't you going to rest up your animals? They look like they've taken a beating. They get worse than that round here, he said. I better head back. And away he went, flying down the Cuesta de la Piedra Cruda, sparing on his mules like a man putting distance between himself and some place possessed. We, my wife and three children, stayed put there planted in the middle of the plaza, holding all of our belongings in our arms, right in the middle of that place where you could only hear the wind blowing through. A lonesome plaza, and not even a blade of grass standing up against the wind. There we stayed put. Then I asked my wife, What is this country we're in, Agrippina? And she shrugged her shoulders. Well, then, if you don't mind, go find somewhere to eat and somewhere to spend the night. We'll be waiting for you here, I told her. She grabbed the youngest of her children and walked off. But she didn't come back. At dusk, with the sun just about lighting the mountain tops, we went searching for her. We traced the alleyways of Luvina till we found her hiding away in the church. Sat there, right in the middle of that lonely chapel, the child asleep in her lap. What are you doing here, Agrippina? I came inside to pray, she told us. What for? I asked her, and she shrugged her shoulders. There was no one there to be praying to. It was an empty shack, no doors, just a gaping hole with the roof caved in and the wind streaming in as if through a sieve. 
Where is the tavern? There is no tavern. And the inn? There is no inn. Did you see someone? Is there anyone living here? I asked her. Yes, across the way, a few women. I can still see them. There, look, behind the cracks in that door, I just caught the glint of their eyes watching us. They've been staring over this way. Look at them. I can see their shiny marble eyes. But they have nothing to offer us to eat. They didn't even poke their heads out when they told me there wasn't any food in this town. So I came in here to pray, to ask God to look after us. Why didn't you come back? We were waiting on you. I came inside here to pray. I'm not finished yet. What country is this, Agrippina? And she shrugged her shoulders again. That night we fixed a spot to sleep for ourselves in a corner of the church, behind the altar, which had been stripped. The wind blowing that far inside, if only a tad softer. We listened to its long howls pass over us. We listened to it enter and leave by the gaping doorway. The wind bowing and buffeting the crucifixes on the stations of the cross. Big, solid crosses they were, carved from mesquite wood, hanging all along the walls of the church, and moored in place by lengths of wire that grated in the wind like grinding teeth. The children were in tears, sleepless with terror, and my wife trying to hold on to them all in her arms, clasping her bundle of children to herself. And I there, not knowing what to do. Shortly before dawn, the wind calmed down. It got up again later, but there was a moment at dawn when everything went quiet, like the heavens and earth had bonded together, smothering every noise with their weight. The children's breathing now sounded relaxed. I could hear the sound of my wife breathing there alongside me. What is that? She said to me. What's what? I asked her. There. That sound. It's the silence. Go to sleep. Rest even for a little while. It won't be long till it's light. But soon after I heard it too. Like the wing beat of bats in the dark, dead close to us. Bats with huge wings brushing the floor. I got up, and you could hear the beating grow loud, as if something had startled the colony of bats and they were flying towards the gaping hole of the doorway. Then I tiptoed over there, listening to the soft mutterings ahead of me. I stopped in the doorway and saw them. I saw all the women of Lubina, and each of them shouldering her pitcher, their shawls draped over their heads and their dark shapes outlined against the dark night. What do you want? I asked them. What are you all out looking for at this hour? One of them replied, We're fetching water. I saw them stop in front of me, watching me. Then, like shadows, they set off walking down the street with their blood jugs. No, for me there'll be no forgetting that first night I spent in Lubina.
<sighs> Don't you think this calls for another drop? Even just so I can rinse out the bitter taste of remembering. <sighs> I think you did ask me how many years I spent in Lubina. Am I right? The truth is, I don't know. I lost all notion of time when those fevers got my mind strangled up. Although it must have been an eternity. The thing is, time gets so drawn out there. No one keeps track of the hours. And nobody frets over the years mounting up. Days begin and they end. Then night falls. That's it. Day and night until death calls, which they find something to look forward to. You must think all I'm doing here is rehashing the same idea over and again. And that's how it is, senor, yes. Sitting by the door, watching the sun rise and set, lifting our head and letting it drop, until all our springs come unsprung, and then everything falls quiet. Out of time, like life went on forever into eternity. That's what they all do there. Because no one lives in Lubina except for the really old and the old that haven't been born yet, as they say. And women sap to full strength, so skinny they practically go lame. Any children born there have moved away. They hardly get their first peep at the light of day. And they are nearly full-grown men already. Like they say, they jump from their mother's breast to the mattock and vanish from Lubina. That is the way of things there. The only ones left are the really old men and the women on their own, or ones whose husbands are fled God knows where. They blow through from time to time, like the storms I was telling you about. You hear a murmur spreading through the town as they return, and only a kind of grunt as they set off again. They leave a sack of food behind for the old, and they plant another child in the bellies of their women. And not a word more is heard from them until the coming year, if at all. That's the custom. There they call it the law, but same difference. Children spend their lives toiling for their parents, just like the parents toil for their own, and who knows how many generations before them abided by this law of theirs. In the meantime, the old wait around for them and for the day they die, sitting by their doors, hands by their sides, moved only by the grace that is a grateful child, alone in that solitude of Luvina. One day I tried to persuade them to move somewhere else where the soil was so good. Let's get out of here, I told them. It won't be hard for us to find ourselves another place to settle. The government will help us. They heard me out without even blinking, staring at me from the depths of their eyes, and a spark barely kindling away deep inside there. You say the government will help us? Schoolmaster, are you not familiar with the government? I told him I was. We are too, as it so happens. But we have no idea 
Who was the whore that mothered that government? I told them it was our country that did. They shook their heads to say no. And they laughed. The only time I ever saw Luvina folk laugh. Bearing their ruined teeth, they told me no. That shameless government is nobody's child. And you know what? There they write. The señor in question remembers who they are only when one of their lads has done some misdoings down here. Then they send as far as Lubina for him, and they kill him. If it weren't for that, they wouldn't know the place existed. You mean to tell us we should get out of Lubina because, as you put it, that's quite enough now of needless hunger, they said to me. But if we leave, who among us will bring their dead with them? It's here they dwell, and we can't leave them behind on their own. And they're still there. You'll see them now when you go, chewing away on dried mesquite pulp and swallowing their own saliva like they could cheat hunger that way. You'll watch them passing by like shadows, pinning themselves against the walls of houses and nearly getting swept away in the wind. Can't you hear that wind? I finished by saying to them, that will be the end of you all. It lasts for as long as it has to. That's the will of God, they replied. Doesn't do one bit of good when the wind drops. When that happens, the sun gets too close to Lubina and sucks up our blood and the drop of moisture we got left in our skin. The wind makes sure the sun stays put there, above. It's better like that. I didn't say another word to them. I got away from Lubina and never went back. Nor do I plan to. But look how the world spins everything around on us. Now it's you making your way there in a few short hours. Perhaps fifteen years have passed already since they told me the same. You will be going to San Juan Lubina. In those days I was full-bodied. I was full of ideas. You know how they get us pumped full of ideas. And you spout all this guff everywhere you go, spreading the word. But in Luvina that wouldn't take. I gave it my all. And it didn't work. San Juan Luvina. How heavenly the name sounded to me. But what a purgatory it is. A dying place where even the dogs have drawn their last breath. And now there's not one left around to bark away the silence. As soon as you grow used to that southwesterly, you hear nothing apart from the silence that persists in all lonesome places. And this is what finishes you. Take a look at me. It finished me. You making your way there will soon understand what I'm telling you. What do you think about us asking this man to mix us another couple of mescalitos?
Beer means having to get up all the time, and that's only interrupting our chat. Hey, Camilo, send over a few mezcales now. Yes, well, as I was saying to you, he didn't say anything, though. He sat staring at a certain point on the table where the now wingless termites were going round in circles like naked worms. Outside, you could still hear the sounds of the night falling, the rivers splashing against the trunks of the Kamishin fig, the yelling of the now distant children. The stars peeped from the miniature sky in the doorway. The man staring at the termites leaned over the table and went to sleep. Thank you for listening. My name is Gabriel Porres, and I am a professional voice actor. Visit me at gabrielvoice.com and radiantwhispers.com to hear more stories by Juan Rulfo and many other authors. Subscribe, give me a like, and leave a comment so the channel gets more exposure and more people get to enjoy great writing like this one we enjoyed today. Gracias. <laughs>